It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. But we begin today's show with one of our favorite guests, the Honorable Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, founder of Stand for America PAC. She is out with a brand new book. She's been promoting it all over the place. I've seen her. It's called If You Want Something Done, Leadership Lessons from Bold Women. And I'm holding this book right here in my hand. It's this very striking sort of light green cover. Nikki Haley joins us once again, and it's great to have you back. Thanks so much, Guy. Great to be with you again. Let's first start talking about the book. And I was flipping through it. I just got my copy. And I see that you have broken it up by chapter and talking about these lessons in leadership from a whole host of women through history. And you start with one of my absolute all-time favorites, if not my very favorite, Margaret Thatcher. Just going through here, Jeannie Kirkpatrick. I I saw Golda Meir also. How did you select the women to profile? And what's the goal of the book? And what's the intended audience for the book? Well, you know, Guy, the the book, the title of the book comes after the quote, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman, the famous Margaret Thatcher quote. The reason that I wrote the book was the publisher had really been on me um, and asked me to write this because they said that there were a lot of books on um, leadership from men, but there were very few on women leadership. And so... I was thinking back to when I was growing up, I remember always looking for women leaders in rural South Carolina, and I didn't see any. And so in second grade, I would go to the library and check out books on women, and the only books there at the time were of first ladies. And I loved the fact that they were partners to their husbands and all the things they did behind the scenes that that so many wouldn't have known. And then I thought, you know, I really need to write this because there's so many women that have changed history. And these are ordinary women that became extraordinary. And my favorite has always been Margaret Thatcher. And what I loved was, you know, here she was a grocer's daughter. She was underestimated. But, you know, as much as she believed in Britain, she believed in herself. And she erased 40 years of socialism in 10 years. And then there was Jean Kirkpatrick, who was my predecessor. She was the first female U.N. ambassador. And she was the one that really disliked the anti-Americanism that she saw, not just at the U.N., but that she saw in our own country. And, you know, she came in as a Democrat under the Reagan administration. But she ended up switching parties because she said she was tired of how Democrats always blamed America first. Mm -hmm. Now, think about how ironic that is. You know, 40 years later, we're still talking about the same things. But then I talked about people that weren't political. You know, I went and talked about someone like Claudette Colvin. Everybody knows that Rosa Parks refused to get off the bus. And she's been a courageous um, icon for a long time. And But what they don't know is nine months earlier— there was actually a 15-year-old Claudette Colvin who refused to get off the bus. She had been studying the Constitution in school, and when they tried to get her off the bus, she said, no, it's my constitutional right. She was arrested. She was put in jail. But because she didn't come from the right social circles, because they thought she was 
too feisty and too emotional, they didn't want her to be the face of the movement. So they fast-forwarded and they created Rosa Parks, and they had Rosa Parks do it because she was a part of the NAACP. She was from the right social circle. She was older. But the actual real courage of it all came from a 15-year-old girl. And what I hope is that as those of us that are parents, we know that if you raise strong girls to be strong women, strong women become strong leaders. And so I hope this is a gift that parents will give to their children and their grandchildren, that women will give to their sisters and their friends and mentors to just kind of motivate all of us that, you know, we need women to remember to get out there because when they get out there, they can really change the world. Yeah, maybe a gift for a daughter or a granddaughter in your life in particular. And I do want to ask you just one more question about your experience as a leader, both at the sort of uh, executive level, of course, in South Carolina, but then in a very different role, but a highly scrutinized one on behalf of the Trump administration in the United States of America at the United Nations. Conservatives, we, we don't like to play identity politics. That is typically the, the other side's game. That being said, I think it is indisputable that women in positions of power and women in the public eye sometimes, if not often, are treated differently than men some ways maybe a little bit better, in a lot of ways worse, uh, indisputably worse. Given your leadership through your career, what has that been like for you? How has that difference played out in your mind? And how can we get to a place where there really isn't a difference between men and women in leadership positions, at least the way they're perceived, the way they're treated? Well, there were never any lines to the women's bathroom in any of the positions I held. I mean, it was I was the first female minority governor in the country. I was the only woman on the Security Council at the UN. But this is what I say, um, you know, in the book is is women don't need special treatment. We don't need any favors. We don't need quotas. We just need opportunities because when we get opportunities, we show what we're made of and we show how good we can be. And so, you know, were, was it tough? Yes, but I don't think it was any tougher because I was a woman. I think that, you know, at the time um, we were, South Carolina was the lowest in the country on women elected officials, but I don't think that's because men gave us a hard time. I think it's because women didn't run. And I think that, you know, what I hope this book does is remind women that if you work hard, you know, you can prove that you deserve to be in the room and you can make a difference. And that's the best thing that women can do is to make sure whatever they do, be great at it and make sure people remember you for it. I mean, yes, there's some challenges with women. I think men have some challenges, too. Um, but I don't want women to focus on that. I want women to realize that there's other women that come up behind them. And so it's really important that they represent well, that they be strong, that they do things that lift up everybody, and that'll make the biggest difference in the country. Nikki Haley is my guest, and I want to ask you about this. Turning to current events, President Joe Biden gave an interview to CNN's Jake Tapper last night, and one of the things that came up was Biden's reported comments at a Democratic fundraiser where he was kind of just sort of spitballing and riffing about nuclear Armageddon. And that got out everywhere, and a lot of people were critical of the the forum for that and sort of the loose words, given how serious the subject was. And we've had expert guests on the show who have been critical of what he said. He was asked about it by Tapper last night. Here was what went down in Cut 16. Do you think in any way discussing this type of thing publicly, openly, Putin's possible use of nuclear weapons, might have the opposite effect of what you want? It might make 
some of our wobblier European allies be even more scared of confronting Putin? Well, no, I don't think so at all. I think, look, there was a, a, a directed... When I'm talking about, I'm talking to Putin. He, in fact, cannot continue with impunity to talk about the use of a tactical nuclear weapon as if that's a rational thing to do. The mistakes get made, they give, and the miscalculation could occur. No one can be sure what would happen, and it could end in Armageddon. All right, so there's that word again, Armageddon. He's saying that the remarks off the cuff at the political fundraiser were directed at Putin. Your thoughts on this? I think it's totally irresponsible. It was irresponsible because, one, you cause concern you know, from regular Americans that you're supposed to show that you're in charge, that you've got things under control. And, you know, that statement basically implied that you didn't. Secondly, it shows weakness in the eyes of the world. I mean, I don't want Putin hearing that. He's going to think that he's getting under Biden's skin. I don't want the Europeans and NATO to hear that because they need to continue doing what they're doing by supporting Ukraine and their efforts. And, you know, I, Guy, I can't figure out if he says these things to kind of make himself sound bigger or why he says these things, but it was just really irresponsible on every level. I mean, I don't know what the need of that was. I don't know if that's an internal fear that he has, um, but it was just wrong. And what we need to be doing is showing strength in our words and our actions. We need to be getting our coalition with, with NATO and the Europeans together so that Ukraine can stay strong and so that Ukraine can finish the deal. And, if, and that's the biggest thing that we can do, because right now we know Putin is suffering. We know that from the fact that he's lost the confidence of his people. He's lost the confidence of his military. He's raised the draft age in Russia to 65. You know, when you're getting your drones from Iran and you're getting your rockets from North Korea, you're in a bad place, and Putin knows that. And is he dangerous? Is there a chance of nuclear weapons? That's true for any tyrant. But you don't say these things and you don't run for the hills. You press on the gas and you let him know that there will be consequences to pay should he even try and do that. I also want to get your response to this from the same interview on Saudi Arabia and I, clearly, the president is frustrated with the Saudis right now for various reasons. I'm not here to defend the Saudi regime on everything that they do, obviously. But I think there's some politics creeping in here. They're upset uh, in the White House about the Saudis and OPEC curbing some of the oil production and that creating a political problem for the Democrats here at home. In Cut 36, here was Biden on the Saudis. Do you think it's time for the U.S. to rethink its relationship with Saudi Arabia? Yes, and by the way, let's get straight why I went. I didn't go to one about oil. I went about making sure that we made sure that we weren't going to walk away from the Middle East and what was going on. You but, would. But we should, we should, and I am uh, in the process when the, when the uh, uh, this House and Senate gets back, they're going to have to, uh, there's going to be some consequences for what they've done with Russia. I mean, he says he didn't go over there recently about oil. I think that that's a little bit silly. And it's also strange to talk about consequences for the Saudis when they're reorienting themselves again, just like the Obama administration, toward Iran, especially given what's happened in the interim during the administration you served in with the Abraham Accords. It just feels like Biden is kind of stuck in 2009 and his foreign policy team are stuck in this universe and world that doesn't even really exist anymore. 
so many things wrong with this. So many things. I mean, first of all, you know, he keeps trying to prove to Americans that he didn't go to Saudi to talk about oil. Okay, well, that's problem number one, because you probably should have talked to them about it. And the reason that he didn't talk about it, that's a problem in itself. The second thing is, he totally did this. He is responsible for all of this. First of all, if you're not going to go and allow us to open up energy production so that we don't have to rely on anyone, then you're setting us up for a situation that we're in right now. Secondly, if you are going to do that, then don't call the one that you're going to be you know, depending on. Don't call on the rest of the world to call him an international pariah. And don't go falling all over yourself to get into an Iran deal that none of the Arab countries want America to get into. And so everything he's done has been in opposition to what the Saudis want, and this is the Saudis sticking it back to him. And so now I think he's wrong to say he's going to go and stick it to the Saudis because all you're doing is digging a deeper hole. You know, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is in his 30s. He's going to outlast every leader that it, that currently lives right now. So don't upset that person. Um, but, you know, the real answer to this is go back. We should be exporting as much liquefied natural gas as we can. We should be meeting with our oil producers saying, what is it that you need from us and giving them confidence. He's done the total opposite in all of these things. And apparently he doesn't see that. Yeah, lashing out at the Saudis, begging the Venezuelans, begging the Iranians for certain things hostility toward our energy sector here at home for political reasons. It's just a very bizarre, contradictory, incoherent brew of policies that they've got on energy. And we've got to leave it there for now because I know you've got places to be. We've got a break that we're coming up on. But I do want to remind everyone about your book, If You Want Something Done by Nikki Haley, my guest. And I have to tell you, not making this up, during this interview, while you were answering one of my questions on President Biden, my dad texted me and said he wants to get your book for my sister, his daughter. So you've got another book sold based on this interview. And maybe one day, you know, if I see you in D.C. or if I'm down in, let's say, South Carolina for, let's say, a football game, for example, maybe we can get it signed for my sister. I would love to. And tell your dad thank you. And I hope everybody will go to NikkiHaleyBook.com to see where we're at on our book tour. NikkiHaleyBook.com. If you want something done, by Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador. Great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Guy. Nikki Haley on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back after this. That was this week's edition of The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. Go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.